0: Oh my gosh, I've been recording in batches and this is the third podcast i've recorded today and i'm pretty sure that the last one i just did my dog snored the whole way through i think it's going to be a pain to try and edit that out so if you just listen to my dog snore for 20 minutes um (laughs) i'm so sorry okay guys um welcome back to the field guide to body language podcast my name is laurel i am a movement analyst and a body language nerd and also your host This is the last episode in The Body series, and today we're digging into the patterns of connection in the body that create movement, like big spatial movements. You'll remember that the previous three patterns of connection, breath, core, distal, and head, tail are foundational patterns, patterns that hold us together and connect us within ourselves. The patterns we're talking about today, upper, lower, body half, and cross lateral, all work to produce movements in space that allow us to interact with the world around us. If you'll remember from earlier episodes, space is one of the main categories in which we look at body language and human movement. In episode two, we talked about two simple ways to map our personal space, um, or if we're getting technical with our terms, um, your personal space is your kinesphere, uh, and you can map it with levels and reach space. Today, as we go through the remaining patterns of connection, we'll also talk about how they create movement in the cardinal planes. You could think about the cardinal planes as another way to map your kinosphere If you'd like, um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the cardinal planes and how they relate to the body and to movement, um, I'm going to put a video up on the Patreon page explaining the planes because it's just much easier to see in person than to describe in words. If you are not a Patreon member, you can join the club for three bucks a month, and I won't be insulted if you join for a month, watch everything you want to watch, and then subscribe. I'm on a budget too. Now, let's get back to our connections. The first movement connection is the upper-lower connection, and this allows you to support your body and also move, like interact with space with your upper body, um, interact with the world. If you have babies in your life, you can see the beginnings of this connection developing when babies are on their hands and knees and they just rock back and forth. They're not quite to crawling yet. It's just like this kneeling, rocking thing. It's really um, it's really like right before they start crawling. And what's going on in that rocking back and forth motion is that they're alternating between pushing with their lower body and pushing with their upper body. That alternating push movement does something really interesting. It utilizes the upper body to teach the lower body to bear weight and vice versa, which you need, or in this case, babies need to successfully crawl. So as we develop this connection, we're really equally teaching ourselves to walk on our legs and reach out into the world with our arms and simultaneously like walk on our hands and reach out into the world with our legs. So the connection runs both ways. Obviously, most of us end up walking on our legs because our bodies are designed that way, but the connection supports both. It's just harder to be upside down. But why, why is it harder to be upside down? Well, that requires going down a little rabbit trail. And and since we're addressing the body anyway, we're going down that rabbit trail. The reason, well, there are many reasons, but we're going to talk about my favorite. Um, The reason it's more accessible to stand on your legs instead of your arms is in the design or evolution, whatever, of the hip and shoulder joints. There are many different kinds of joints in the body, all which allow for different ranges of motion. Hip joints and shoulder joints are both what we call ball and socket joints. These joints resemble a mortar and pestle and allow for a pretty wide range of motion, including circumduction. That's your word of the day, by the way, circumduction. It means movement in a circle. You can circle your arm from your shoulder. You can circle your leg from your hip, but you can't create circumduction with your knee or your elbow because knees and elbows are not ball and socket joints. The hip joint has a very deep socket and the ball of your femur at the top of your thigh bone sits deep into it and is surrounded by lots of stabilizing muscles. It is built for stability. Shoulders on the other hand have a very shallow socket and the benefit of a shoulder blade. So you remember an episode or two ago, we talked about how the shoulder blade and the collarbones move with the arm to support it in a wide range of motion. The flexibility of the shoulder girdle makes it easier to reach out into space with your arms. The stability of the pelvic girdle makes it ideal for bearing weight So when someone chooses to walk on their hands, they have to develop a lot of shoulder strength and hip flexibility to accomplish that. And it's still not as anatomically functional as walking on your legs. It's possible, but not optimally functional. Now let's put this connection in space. The upper lower connection creates movement in the sagittal plane, stuff like walking or riding a bike. It's movement that moves you forward or backward in space, like like the movement of a wheel. So walking, marching, doing that run where you kick your butt, folding forward, back bending, uh, and moonwalking all require the upper lower connection and move in the sagittal plane. Next, we have the body half connection. This is the connection that creates side bending and it lives in the vertical or door plane. Um, it's supported by all of the preceding patterns of total body connectivity. And remember they're stacked like a pyramid. So let's go back and retrace our steps from the bottom of the pyramid up to where we are now. At the very bottom of the pyramid, you have the breath connection. This is the most basic level of existence. You have to breathe and be present in the world and in your body. Next up, cord distal. You have to be able to support and articulate your core, and your distal ends, hands, feet, head, and tail. And you can't do that unless you are already breathing and present in your body. Next up is the head-tail connection. This is a connection at the spinal level. It builds articulation and support. And this is where babies start sitting up. Um, If the core-distal connection isn't present, then the movement at the spinal level in this connection is dysfunctional or non-existent next step on the pyramid is upper lower which we just talked about in depth this is the connection used to move forward or backward and it's built when babies are learning how to crawl all three of the supporting patterns make it possible for us to stand and move back and forth in the sagittal plane okay once we have all those connections then we can start side bending for babies Developing this connection, this allows them to take the kneeling rock that we just talked about previously and turn it into an actual crawl. Now, even though babies are moving forward in space in their crawl, it is still a side bending movement. So don't let that muddy the waters here. If you look at the movement of a crawl, you can see that the spine is bending to one side and then to the other as crawling happens. Now, what other movements happen here? Cartwheels sidestepping, flossing, uh, as in the dance, not the dental care. Um, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but imagine trying to do any of those things without the support of your legs. It, it would be virtually impossible because leg support comes from the upper lower connection which supports the body half connection. You have to have all of your supporting patterns to be able to stretch or condense the sides of your body successfully. Now, the last pattern of total body connectivity is the cross lateral connection. This creates a twisting motion in the horizontal plane, twisting, twirling, uh, throwing a baseball, all of those things happen in the horizontal plane. So does that awful ab exercise where you lay on your back and twist one elbow to the opposite knee, um, Pilates, that's called crisscross. And it's not my favorite the cross lateral twist can seem completely unrelated to the body half side bend. And if the body isn't connected, well, those two movements can for sure be unrelated, but in a well-connected and very functional body, it's actually a bilateral lengthening, like stretching both sides of the body coupled with grounding. And that's your upper lower connection that create a successful twist depending on how much you observe movement. And if you're listening to this podcast on the reg, I assume you watch a fair amount of movement. You'll have noticed that in walking, we'll say with ease, there's a little element of rotation. that, And that rotation element is what causes one arm and the opposite leg to come forward together in gait. And it's a product of the cross-lateral connection. So ideally, in a perfect world, we're all optimally connected with all of the patterns of total body connectivity supporting our movement, but it's not a perfect world. All our bodies are a little bit different. Even just the tiniest little thing, like the depth of the socket of our hip joint, which is something that's written into our genetic code, make our body connections and the resulting movements have a, have a lot of variation. Sometimes there's variation, sometimes there's dysfunction. You can rest assured that we're all a little dysfunctional. The upper body is very expressive and it can be a key source of information for reading body language as well as being able to express ourselves fully. If the upper body isn't supported by the lower body, here's our upper lower connection again, then the upper body isn't available to be fully expressive. So at the extreme end of this, we can think about someone using a crutchet ooh, a crutches. Mm -hmm. So at the extreme end of this, think about someone using crutches or a walker. Um, The upper body has to take over some of the support work that the lower body, for whatever reason, isn't doing. And therefore the upper body isn't available for expression or it's normal other upper body functions. It's worth taking things like this into account when you interact with others. Are all of their expressive capabilities available to them? Maybe they're not using a walker, but if their shoulder muscles are overly tight, it can have the same effect on their expressive capabilities. Even if they used crutches temporarily or a walker temporarily, but no longer have need of them, the muscles in the body don't always repattern themselves after injury. And so there can be a residual effect on the body and it's expressive capabilities. Now let's consider handedness. You wouldn't really think that the hand you hold your pen in makes a ton of difference, especially now that we, like, we don't write as much as we type. Um, but handedness is more than just a dominant hand. Most of us do have a dominant hand, but also a dominant eye and a dominant leg. And they aren't always on the same side of the body. When we use our dominant features more than our non-dominant features, it creates subtle twists or a subtle side bend in our body. Oh, Laurel, you're exaggerating. Handedness doesn't make that much of a difference. (laughs) No, seriously. When was the last time you vacuumed half the carpet holding the vacuum in your right hand and the other half of the carpet holding your vacuum in the left hand? Probably never. But if you do, I commend your endeavors towards symmetry. Vacuuming requires a fair bit of muscle recruitment and it's a repetitive action that we rarely reverse. We build muscle and neurological connections as we do it. And that muscle strength and those neurological connections stick. Now I'm suggesting that everything in our lives must be symmetrical. Oh my God, no, please don't obsess over it. Try vacuuming with the other hand as a fun experiment and then leave the rest alone. My point is just that all bodies have little nuances and you have to take those into account. I want to leave you with something to ponder. This relates to the psychological perspective of body connectivity. We've kind of covered the body in space with the cardinal planes, and now we're kind of crossing over with the body and effort a bit. Um, If a connection is missing or very weak or stuck, it may be harder for that person to express themselves fully. It will also be harder for them to see both sides of an argument or make a well-informed decision. I know that sounds a little outlandish, but we've already established that how we feel is reflected in how we move. And how we move is reflected in the neuromuscular patterning in our body. And this is something that I have seen over and over with different bodies that I have worked with. And you can play it out in your own body. If one side of your body is tighter than the other, try giving that side a little morning stretch every day. You'll feel physically better and you may find yourself being more open to listening to someone else's point of view. In that same vein, if you come across someone who is visibly holding, tensing a part of their body, take that into account. If you're planning on trying to persuade them of something, they might not be open to your point of view. So these are all things that you can and should take into account when interacting with other humans. How is their body connected? Are there areas of the body that are visibly stuck? Take all these things into account and consider how they influence expressive capabilities and what that means for your interaction with them. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, If you enjoy the podcast, please leave me a review or consider supporting me on Patreon. If you have questions, you can DM me on Instagram. I am at Laurel Foley, or you can email me at laurel at com. Bye friends.